and uh, the pulpit's gone, the, uh, the uh, communion table is gone, there we go, but uh, every preacher needs something to stand behind, and uh, so this is what I've got, this will work for today. Take your Bibles with me if you would. If you remember last week we, we were talking about the rebuilding of the altar in, in uh, the rebuilding of the altar in uh, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, the, the idea and the thought, the main thought of the message was that, is that it took a, a period of time for the altar to become broken down. Nothing, nothing happens overnight. Uh, and nobody came in and destroyed it. it. It broke down over a period of time from a lack of, of use or, or neglect uh, on the part of the people of Israel. Thank you, buddy. <clears throat> they, the, the people of Israel had, had uh, followed their leadership, and the leadership of, of the king uh, at the time was King Ahab, and, and there were wicked kings before him, and, and they had turned from following God and, and turned from worshiping God uh, to, to uh, worship other gods. In fact, when Elijah uh, rose up, he thought he was the only one left. We uh, he, uh, he uh, after this, uh, complained that he thought he was the only one and told God just to kill him. And we know that God revealed to him that there were 7,000 that hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. And so there were those, there was a remnant, and there, there has always been a remnant of those who love God and are following God uh, all throughout that time. And there still is today, and I praise God for that. But uh, as far as the nation was concerned, they had turned from God and, and were worshiping other gods. And when Elijah confronted them, there in 1 Kings chapter 18, and said, uh, gave them a choice, uh, and asked them who they were going to serve, uh, the saddest thing I have ever read is they answered not a word. Uh, they, they, uh, they, they didn't want to make a choice, they didn't want to stake a claim, they, they were kind of waiting to see what was going to happen, and Elijah, uh, we know Elijah prayed, the fire fell from heaven, consumed the, 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 the sacrifice on the altar, consumed the, the water that had been upon the altar, but before that could take place, the altar had to be rebuilt. And we talked about the fact that well, the altar, uh, that altar was physical, and we don't come to, we don't have a physical altar uh, today, but it's symbolic of our, of, our, of our meeting with the Lord and how that altar, that, that meeting place, uh, needs to be rebuilt if it's been neglected. And, it, and we talked about those things that uh, have, have been destroyed, have been neglected for a long period of time, but it only starts with a single day. One day, and then another day, and then another day, until, until it's gone farther than you have ever could imagine it could go. You, you never would believe the amount of uh, destruction that could take place with something that's neglected and not used. And the truth is, God has called us and God has saved us, not just so that we have a home in heaven. God saved us so that we have a relationship with him. It is to be a daily walk with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to, to, to pray. We are to be in the word. We are to, to, to submit ourselves into the spirit of God on a daily basis. And, and as I began to look at and study out the altar, uh, I, I, I found that there were some things uh, that, that the altar was used for, some specific things, and, and I told Brother uh, James that I was going to preach uh, this series, and last week was kind of the laying of the groundwork of that, but one of the things that I'd like us to look at is, 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 turn with me if you would, uh, to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. And we're going to look with me, if you would. We'll start reading in verse 15. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wives and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they, might, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast 
every creeping thing and every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said, is said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done, while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Uh, we see here... Uh, and, and if you know and, and have grown up in church or, or, or spent much time in the Bible or in church, you, you have heard the story of Noah, uh, uh, the account. Let me rephrase that. It's not a story. Uh, it isn't something that uh, we tell our children at bedtime. It is something that happened uh, according to the word of God. It's the account of Noah. Uh, God, uh, there came a point when, uh, when evil was in the heart of man continually and God judged the earth by a flood. Uh, uh, the, the, he warned Noah ahead of time. Uh, I love uh, the previous chapter. It says, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, even though he was a righteous man, he still needed the grace of God. Uh, and that's true for every single one of us. I don't care who you are, uh, what you've done, what your background, or what you've accomplished in your life. You need the grace of God in your life. Uh, they, he saw the grace of God uh, in his life. God revealed to him what he was going to do and told him to build an ark. Uh, uh, Noah was not a boat builder. He was not equipped to handle the task at hand. God equipped him. God gave him what he needed, gave him the, the, the blueprints, if you would, to, to build the ark, uh, told him to use his sons, and they, they, they got to work. And he spent a long time building the ark. Uh, we know uh, at, that, at the appointed time, God told him to get into the ark, and God caused all the animals, two of every kind, to, to walk onto the ark and, 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 and get in there and God shut the door behind them. The rain began to fall, the, uh, the, the, the winds began to blow, the earth began to break up and water began to come up and, and the earth flooded in a way that they had never seen before. Uh, uh, man, th those that had made fun of Noah, because listen, uh, he was in the middle of dry ground building a massive boat for animals, people were making fun of them. He was preaching righteousness, and the, 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 the world around him didn't want to hear it. They made fun of him. Those that heard that, those that had rejected his teaching, in fact, everybody but his family rejected that, they were on the outside of the ark, and, and they were drowned in, in the flood. Uh, Noah spent time on the ark in the midst of that, hearing their cries, hearing the storm, hearing all that was going on. The, the ark was picked up. The, the ship was rocked back and forth. Uh, I'm sure there was, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't like being on the boats all that much, especially and stormy, you get seasick. Something tells me some animals were puking. Uh, maybe, maybe God in his mercy just didn't let that happen, but I, in my mind, it wasn't a pleasant ride. Uh, and they, they, spend, they spend many days in that ark in the storm, and, and one day the, the storm ceased. Uh, chapter 8 of verse 1 says, and God remembered Noah. I love that passage. I love that verse. Uh, God was faithful. He remembered what he had promised Noah, and, and, and he kept him safe all of that time. God steered the ship. God protected Noah. Uh, uh, Noah wasn't up there trying to chart a course. God took care of it all. Uh, and and that, that ark came to rest on dry ground, and, and uh, there came a point in time when the window was opened, the dove was let out, and, and it, for the, second, the third time, it did not return, and God allowed Noah and told Noah to go out to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to understand and put yourselves in the place of Noah at this point in time. Everything that he has ever known, besides his family, is gone. He has lost his home. He has lost his neighbors. He has lost... Uh, he has lost all, everything. There is nothing left. It is, Ab did I say Abraham? It was Noah, it was Noah's wife, Noah's sons and their wives, and a bunch of animals. How would you react if you lost everything? I believe we would react in a couple different ways. We'd be in shock. But I think we would, be, we would learn to be grateful and thankful for what we did have. See, one of the things that I have learned is that you don't really, you're not really thankful for something when you have it. You become more thankful for it once you've lost it. You all have eyes. 
right? How would you like it if somebody took your vision? You would not. You would suddenly become thankful for the fact that God has given you vision to be able to see, the ability to walk, the ability to, to, to do certain things. Listen, well, God has given us all of these things. Many times we're just not thankful for it. I want you to put yourself in Noah's shoes, and he has lost everything he has ever known other than his family and, and the God who has protected him. But God did just that. God was faithful, and God protected him, and God blessed him, and God watched over him, and gave him everything that he needed to get to the point where he is in his life. And they got off that boat, and the first thing he did that he built was not a house. He didn't think, you know what, we need shelter, because it might rain again. He went, God promised it wasn't going to flood again, but he didn't say nothing about the rain. He, the first thing was, that we need to find fresh water. Uh, there's a, a, a TV show, it's, a, it's, it's called Alone. Uh, I, I've seen it a couple times. Uh, it's a contest between these, uh, these people. They put them out in the wilderness all by themselves in the, the harshest of conditions, and they have to survive for as long as they can. I believe it's up to three months, uh, and the winner gets a million dollars. You know what happens most of the time? They, almost everybody quits because it's hard. But the ones that survive, you, you notice a few things. They, 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 they begin to focus on a shelter, some place for them to sleep. They, they begin to look for, an, uh, for, for a way to, uh, for, for fuel, for a fire. They look for a way to get water and food. And those are the ones that survive. Noah, his first, his first priority was not to get a shelter. It was not to get fresh water. It was not to get uh, food. Uh, I mean, they had food. They guess they could have killed the animals, but they were supposed to repopulate the earth. Uh, there was lots of things that he could have done, but the very first thing he did was he built an altar. And that altar was, was uh, yes, there were sacrifices. It was, a, it was a time of worship. It was a time of praise. It was a time of thankfulness for what God had done in their lives. Yes, there were those that had died, and that was, I'm sure they were grieved and they were heartbroken over them. Uh, uh, yes, they had lost everything that they had known, but they were thankful for what God had done. And the first thing they want to do is praise and honor and glorify the God in heaven. I looked up the word praise in, the, in, in Scripture, and I went, man, it is all throughout the Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and the book of Psalms is almost every other chapter. The word praise is mentioned over and over and over again. We are to praise God with our lips. We're to praise Him with our heart. We're to praise Him with, with song. We're to praise Him with this. We're to praise God. The, the Levites... There were, there were 4,000 that were put into the temple that were there to praise God morning and evening. When Solomon dedicated the temple, I want you to understand that, 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 that they came together and they praised God. And the Bible says the priest didn't get to perform the sacrifices, that, that Solomon didn't get to, to give a speech, that the, the presence of God came down like a smoke and filled the temple, and that they had to leave the temple because the presence of God was there, because God had been praised, and that he became, came and he dwelt in that place. The book of Psalms tells us that God inhabits the, the praise of his people. That word inhabits means that he, he, he dwells there. God deserves our praise. God desires our praise. And what we see in Genesis chapter 8, when they begin to worship and praise God, God said, I gave them a promise. I will never flood this earth again. The, the, the chapter 9 starts with, and God blessed Noah, and God blessed his sons. I want you to understand something. There is a blessing upon us when we praise God. But there is also a problem. Because there came a point in time in the, the life of the Jews, the Bible says that, that they honored God with their lips, but they were far from Him with their hearts. See, we come, on, we come to church on Sunday and we sing our songs of praise, whether it be bow the knee. Let's just be honest. Do we really bow the knee before God? We sing the song, we sing, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, but I'm just going to stand here and, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Is God praised by that? I guarantee you he is not. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that we're to, the sacrifice of praise is the fruit of our lips. Now listen, before you can have the fruit of your lips, there needs to be a seed of thankfulness and gratefulness and worship in your heart. 
If we do not see God for who he is, if we do not see God for what he has done in our lives, I want you to understand this, that the altar of praise in your life is neglected and broken down. Now we can praise God in many ways. The psalmist says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Are you all here this morning and breathing? I hope so. If not, 911 is just a few minutes away. There is a need for praise in the heart, in the lives, and the lips of God's people. But I ask you this morning, how is your altar of praise? Where David said, I praise him morning and evening. Another psalm, David says, I'll praise him seven times through the day. How many times do you praise him? Listen, if the only time you praise God is when you come to church and we sing our songs, guess what? That is not praise. The word praise means to exalt, to lift up, to, 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 to honor and venerate with our mouth. Do you praise God? Do you talk about the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God in your life? We have every reason to praise God. If all you have is salvation, you have everything you need to praise God. We, we find it easy to praise God in the good times. My bills are paid. Life is good. My COVID test was negative. Everything's going great. I'm going to praise God. It's easy to praise God in the good times, but that's circumstantial praise. And while we're to praise God in the good times, we're also to praise God in the bad times. Because our praise of God should not be based upon our circumstances. It should be based upon the nature of God. Who he is. And yes, what he has done. But you know what he does? He does because who he is. The angels in heaven sing holy, holy, holy. But they don't say, our bills are paid. My gas tank's full. I, ha I got the car that I wanted. I got my eye. They, they don't care about those things. Why? Because they're in the presence of God. And listen, I'm not trying to downplay the goodness of God. God is good, and God takes care of, and God provides. Uh, we, we, I, I mentioned on Wednesday night how God has provided for the Thren family as they come. Uh, their bus is broken down, the, uh, the, 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 the travel bus that they live in, the, the 12 of them. Uh, live in a travel bus, and they're coming up, and he calls me up and says, hey, uh, or he messes me, he says, brother, we, uh, our bus is broken down, it's in the shop, and we're not going to be able to get it back uh, in time for your, your meeting. Um, I don't, want you to want, I don't want to know what you want us to do about a place to stay. I just wanted to give you a heads up. Now, he wasn't asking for a place. Uh, they, uh, I, if, if we didn't have the money, they'd come anyways, and they'd either stay in the church, uh, sleep on the, on the concrete floors, or they, if, we had other, if we were able to come up with something, that's what they would do, or they could afford it. They would, I looked into putting them up in a hotel for the week. For the 12 of them, $7,000 for one week. That's three rooms. It would have been four people to a room. Every bed would have been filled, and there might have been somebody on the floor. $7,000. I said, we can't do that. We don't have $7,000. They're like, Lord, I don't know what to do. God, how can we, I, 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 I want to take care of them. I want, to, I, want to, I want them to be blessed while they're here, but Lord, you have to give us the money. So we began to look, we, we began to look for Airbnbs, and there is nothing available, especially not the week before. And something said in my heart, well, they live in a bus. Maybe you could find an RV that would fit them. I don't know anybody that's got an RV that big. I don't know anybody that really has an RV. But I typed it in, and this website popped up, and I typed in the requirements, and there was one in the state of Maine, in Scarborough, that would fit their family. $139 a night. We could rent it. They will deliver it. They will set it up. They will come back up, pick it up, and take it back down there for $139 a night. Praise God, because guess what? Uh, I looked at what, I was like, well, that's pretty cheap. Maybe I could find something for my family and take them out like that. That would be, that'd be really good. No, that was the cheapest one on there. Uh, uh, ones that would fit my family were like two and three and four hundred dollars a night. 
I can't afford that. What happened? God provided. Now we praise God for that. I'm thankful for what he did. But listen, you know why he did it? Because he is good and he needs to be praised for his goodness. Because if they had to sleep on the floor, because people have had to do that before. There are people that live sleeping on the floor and they can still praise God while they sleep on the floor. Do you know why? Because God is still good. When we allow our view of God to, to change, what happens is our problems grow bigger and our God grows smaller. What's happened, happened to Peter? He said, Lord, if it's you, call me out of the boat. He had the faith to step out of the boat start walking across that water, and I don't know about you, but I don't know that I'd have had the faith to do that. I'd like to say that would be me, but I wouldn't have looked away from Jesus. I would have just kept walking. But that's just stupidity and pride. I don't know what I would have done. My guess is I'd still be back in the boat looking over the edge of it like this. Is he still up? Ha! I knew he was going to fall! And then we make fun of Peter because he fell. And we do that all the time, right? We, uh, I don't know how many times I've preached a message about how, how Peter's faith was small, and Jesus said, uh, uh, wherefore didst thou doubt, O ye of little faith? Because he had little faith. Oh, that's not, uh, I won't lie about it, but my faith's even smaller. I'd be still in the boat. Peter took his eyes off Christ and started looking at the winds and the waves, who he had already seen Jesus tell in a, uh, at another previous time, said, be still, and everything quieted down. He, he could have done that. But he took his eyes off of Jesus and took, put his eyes on his problems and suddenly he began to sink. And we do that all the time. But uh, when we do that, what happens? We begin to murmur and complain and talk about the problems instead of talking about the one who can deal with the problems that we're facing. So instead of pray, the praise being the fruit of our lips, the murmuring and complaining becomes the music that Satan loves to listen to. Instead of extolling and exalting and lifting up an almighty God, we begin to downplay just how big God is and struggle with that. Now, God deserves our praise. Absolutely, he deserves our praise. But how do we get it back? Can we just, I'm just going to sing and praise God today. I can guarantee you if all you do is just add the music to your lips, to your voice, start talking up a big game, it may last for a short period of time, but after, after a song or two or after the first thing that happens that will cause you to stumble and fall or cause you to question, guess what, there goes that praise again. And the truth is, it would be just like God said of the people of Israel, they honored me with their lips, but they were far from me with their hearts. So what do we need to do. Turn to Psalm chapter 85, verses 5 through 6. That was all the introduction. Psalm chapter 85. What I believe and what I believe I, I can prove to you through Scripture this morning is that to rebuild the altar of praise in our life is not to learn how to play an instrument or learn how to sing. You can take voice lessons, but there are people that can sing that have never honored God a day in their life. You can, you can become the world's greatest pianist, the world's greatest guitar player. You can, uh, Brother James could spend a lifetime mastering the saxophone and get up here and dazzle us with his skills and never once praise God. Because our praise is not in our abilities. Our praise is based out of the worship of our heart. So how do we rebuild that altar of praise? I believe it comes in a spirit and in a, in a move of revival of God on our hearts. Psalm chapter 85, if you would. I'll start reading in verse 1. It says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation, and cause thine anger to us, toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou revive us again? 
that thy people may, what's that word? Rejoice in thee. Wilt thou revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. The, the idea that, that, that is here and, and the thought that David is, is, is this, in this prayer is that, Lord, if you revive your work in our hearts, if you begin to, to redo what, uh, bring us back to where we once were, if you revive us, Lord, again, we will, as a result, rejoice in thee. The problem with us many times, as I've already said, is we rejoice in our circumstances. We rejoice in our blessings. We rejoice in, in ourselves or in the things that we desire. But what God desires is that we rejoice in Him. There are some of us in here who watched a Super Bowl years ago. You probably watched that Super Bowl, didn't you? He did. When the Patriots it came back in the grandest of fashions, in a, I would say, near miraculous fashion, from, what was the spread, Brother James? 28 to 3, in the final quarter, to win at, what was the, what was the final score, Brother James? 28? Yes. In fact, it wasn't just the whole last quarter. It was only the last part of the last quarter. I watched that game. We came home from church, and, and I, I turned it on to see how badly they were, they, were, they were losing. I was like, this is not... Now, I'm not a huge football fan, but I like to watch the Super Bowl if I can. And I like, I like to watch it. I just don't watch it that much. But, man, I was enthralled with that game. I was excited the, 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 man, the, the quarterback was doing things that, man, like I said, it was near miraculous. I don't want to say that he, it was a miracle because only God does miracles. But it was near miraculous. It was amazing what that team was able to do. And guess what? I rejoiced. And I wasn't, I'm not even that invested in football. I, I jumped up. I was, like, I was like, yeah, this is amazing. Wow, look at that. My kids were all in bed. My wife was sleeping. I woke just like, be quiet out there. And this is amazing. I've been to a baseball game, and I hate baseball. I rejoice more in the fact that they finally ended the game than they won, but, uh, but uh, I was rejoicing. I, I rejoiced in when, when, when really amazing things happened. I have rejoiced when, when answers to prayer have come. I rejoiced for all kinds of reasons. But what God desires is not that I rejoice in my circumstances, or that I rejoice in worldly things, but that I rejoice in Him. But that takes a change in me. And while I can, I can change the external things, it takes God to change the internal things. David here is praying for revival in, in Psalms chapter 85, verses 5 through 6. He's praying for God to do the work. Notice there in verse, verse uh, number 6, Wilt thou not revive us again? We can, I mentioned this in Sunday school. We can plan revival services. We can bring in dif different speakers and different singers, and we can, we can fill this place up, and, and, and it can just be, and the friends can play and sing and just be a blessing on your hearts. Uh, uh, Brother, can Brother Mark can preach. I've heard other preachers pre preach and just touch my heart all, every time they preach. But listen, uh, hey, I'll be honest with you, that, that, that those things can touch our emotions, but only God can touch our hearts. We can get stirred up and we can get excited. In fact, I've seen it in people. I, 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 they, they, uh, I've heard, that we had a tent revival not too long ago. Somebody said, said man, God's been good. God's going to do this. I, I, I'm all in. And then, So we can make emotional decisions based upon the emotions of what's going on. But, but I, I want you to know something. We can make those decisions, but only God can change us. Now that doesn't mean we don't have a part in it. We do. 
But if we're truly going to seek revival, if we're truly going to see God do something, we need to pray this prayer. Wilt thou revive us again? When do we pray it? First, as we remember God's acts of grace in our lives. Look at verse, verses uh, the 1 through 3 here. It says, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself up from the fierceness of thine anger. That word hast is past tense. These are the things that you have done. Thou hast blessed us. Thou hast forgiven. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Uh, David's looking back into the history uh, of the annals of time and looked at all that God has done for the people of Israel. And it says, thou hast done these things. It is good for us to look back and remember what God has done in our lives. When David prayed that, ver that prayer in verse 6, he said, Wilt thou revive us again? He's asking for a repeating of something that has happened in the past. Now, I'll be honest with you, I am glad that God is a God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances. In fact, every time that we turn back unto the Lord, we have a promise from God that He will draw nigh unto us. James chapter 4, draw nigh unto me and I will draw nigh unto you. Uh, it will happen. It can happen again. Uh, and I'm thankful for the fact that that, that that can happen. He says, and I look back at the times of my life when God worked and when, when God blessed and when God moved, even when God saved me. Man, I, that should excite me, especially in the times when my spirit is cold. And the praise doesn't come easily to my lips because my heart of worship is struggling. Because there was a time when God had brought me to a point where I, I worshiped and praised easily, but now because of sin, because of neglect, because of circumstances, because I've taken my eyes off of God, now it becomes difficult for me. I'm thankful that there was a time one day I, I'd heard a great message uh, on, and, and God was beginning to stir my heart. And I said, Lord, how can, you, how can you work with me again? I don't understand. And I opened my Bible to James chapter 4 and it says, but God giveth more grace. Because the grace of God is greater than all my sin. When he saved me, he didn't save me from what I was. He saved me from what I was, what I had done, and what I was going to do. All my sin is forgiven. When Christ died on the cross and his blood was applied to that mercy seat, I want you to understand, I hadn't been born yet, but God, my sins were covered anyways. And I look back, and I realize that God is a God of grace. And when I remember that, it should cause me to pray in my heart, God, can you revive me again? God, can, can, can you bring me back to a place where, where I have that revival? Not only are we to pray when we remember God's act of grace, but also when we hear what God has previously done. In Psalm chapter 44, verse 1, uh, turn there with me just really quickly if you would. I'll only be there for a moment. But I want you to see this. David here is writing, he says, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old. I can look back at my life and I can see God has done great things. God has, in, in my own life, God has stirred me up and God has brought me back. God has renewed me and revived me multiple times because the truth is, the Christian walk is, is, is kind of like this. It's a period of highs and lows, hills and valleys, mountaintops and, and, and the depths of the sea where, 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 where man, we're in the glory, we're, we're, we're walking in the presence, we're praising God and then somehow we get down here and we 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Our spiritual walk is like that roller coaster that goes up and down. And when we get down to the bottoms, we need to remember that God can always bring us back up to the top. But it's not just what he did in my life. See, I, I'm encouraged and I'm strengthened by reading by what he's done in the past in other people's lives, in other nations, in other times. Uh, if, you, if you've had the opportunity or you've ever heard of the, the revival at the Isle of Louis, uh, uh, an area of, uh, of, of Ireland, Scotland, I'm kind of confused as to exactly where it's at, but uh, 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 Duncan, uh, was, uh, was, uh, Duncan Campbell was the name of the evangelist that preached there. But man, God worked an amazing way. I love the way he says it. Uh, he began to preach, and, and in his Scottish brogue, he says, and God stepped down. And God began to move, and people got saved, and people got right. In fact, 75% of the people that got right and got saved uh, during that revival, and it was a revival that lasted three years, not uh, three days. Uh, and, and, and people that hadn't even been preached to were getting saved uh, before they even got to church. They came to church because they knew something had changed in their life, and the Spirit of God began to move and convict them of their sin. Listen, I'm here to tell you that I can look back to that and remember what God did and know that God can do it again. And that should cause me to pray for revival. We should pray for revival not only when we remember the God's acts of grace, not only when we remember what God or have heard what God has done in the past, we can also and should also pray at the tokens of, of his displeasure. Back in chapter 80, 84, or sorry, 85, verse 5 says, Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw us out that anger to all generations. There were things going on uh, in the nation of Israel because of their sin. And, and there have been times in David's life where that happened. If you remember in Psalm chapter 51, he says, Return unto me the joy of my salvation. Well, why did he lose his, the joy of his salvation? Uh, because he sinned. Uh, with Bathsheba. Uh, he had had her husband murdered and, and God had was judging him for that. Uh, there, was a, there were periods of judgment in their life. And listen, when there are periods of judgment in our lives, it should cause us, it should bring us to a point where we are seeking revival. Listen, the state of our nation is in trouble. Serious serious trouble and we can put our heads in the sand and we can say la 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 i'm just not gonna look listen i don't like watching the news and i'm not telling you to get stuck in all that stuff because that stuff will suck you in uh, you can get sucked into the politics and you can get sucked into the arguments but we'd be we'd be remiss if we did not know what was going on and and, and just pretended like nothing was happening i want you to know our country is in trouble but you know why our country is in trouble because god's people are in trouble the bible says that if judgment's going to come it will Start at the house of God. Right here. The reason their country is the way it is is because the, God's people haven't been doing what they've been called to do as the children of God. Now, I know that uh, in, in the grand scheme of things that, that there is going to come a time when J Jesus comes back and everybody's, uh, every child of God is going to be taken up, raptured into heaven, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise God. I'm looking forward to that day. And, and we know that that time is set, and, but we don't know what it is. Uh, it may be tomorrow. It may be next week. It may be 15 years from now or 100 years from now. I don't know. All I know is Jesus is coming back. But until that day, we are to occupy until Jesus comes. Not sit there with our fingers in our ears saying, well, you know, as long as I just do what I'm doing and God's going to take care of me and everything's going to be fine. And there are lost people that are dying and on the way to hell. And we can say that we love them and we can say that we want to see them saved. But if we don't tell anybody, then you're lying through your teeth. You are deceiving your own selves. That's like standing outside of a house on fire and knowing there are people in there burning and you're like, well, you know, somebody else will call. If I were to do that, you would look at me and think, how could he, as a man of God, how could he do that? I was a firefighter. How could that man not want to go in? Let's just be honest here. Let's look at ourselves in the eyes of God and not in the eyes of, of every other Christian in the way we all look at, uh, look at each other and look at ourselves. We all look and say, somebody else ought to do it. Somebody else. Listen, it is high time for us to do it. It is high time for us to understand there is a reason. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, is what Paul wrote. 
We want to see revival. We need to see ourselves as God sees us, as lazy, as weak, as lukewarm. Say, oh no, God, God's good with me. Are you sure? Have you read the word of God? Have you seen how he looks at those that are lukewarm? The Bible says he would rather spew them out of his mouth. That letter to the, to, to the church, uh, there is, it says that Jesus is outside the door knocking. Now we use that and say, well, Jesus is outside the heart of, of every lost person knocking on the door saying, just let me in and I'll come in and save you. No, that, that, that letter is written. It's written to the church. It says that Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking. He says, hey, invite me in. I'd like to come in. And if you do, I'll come sup with you. But if you're going to sit there with your door shut and your fingers in your ears and ignoring the lost that are out there, listen, I'll spew you out is what he said. Well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I would begin to question that. If the judgment of God, they'll say, well, God's not judging me. My life is okay. Everything's going okay. That does not indicate that God is not angry with our disobedience. It does not. That just shows us the grace of God. It shows us the grace of God in our lives. And we can, we can do what we want, and you can do what you want, but I'm telling you, as your pastor, I love you. And listen, I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as I am to you. I want you to understand that judgment will come one day. We will stand before God, and yes, we're saved, and yes, we have a home in heaven if you've trusted in Christ. But, but I want you to understand, we will make answer for everything that we do and don't do, according to the word. His displeasure could ca should cause us to pray and ask him to revive the work in us again. When do we pray when we remember the acts of God's grace? Uh, when, we, when do we pray when we hear uh, about the, those things that have been previously done at the tokens of his displeasure? Uh, when the saints are weak. Let's just be honest, we can grow weak. And uh, the Bible says uh, uh, that we're not to be weary in well-doing. Well, the reason he says that is because we grow weary in well-doing. God's people get tired. God's people get weak. Uh, uh, but when that happens, I want you to remember our strength is not in ourselves. Our strength is not in our camaraderie. Uh, uh, while we are to exhort one another, we are to encourage one another, we are to build up one another, our strength comes from God Almighty. And uh, listen, if you have grown weary, if you have grown tired, if you have grown weak in your service of God, the only thing that you need is not to be, you don't need a shot in the arm. You don't need a verse of the day popping up on your, on, your, on your feed. You, don't need, you know what you need? You don't need days of praise. You need God reviving you. As a, as, as, when I was a paramedic, there were a lot of people that needed revived. Some people needed revived because they were nearly dead. Other people needed revived. We used to cover, a, a, it was a cross-country cross, uh, running. I, I don't like to run on country, off country, across country. If it's running, I don't really like to do it. But we'd go there, and these young people would run, run their races. And it was amazing. They'd get to the end of these races, and they would just be physically spent. They'd be vomiting. They'd be, they'd be exhausted. They'd be tired. And, and you know what they needed? They needed somebody to come along and revive them. Sometimes they needed a little something to eat. Sometimes they needed a, an IV with some fluids, uh, with some dextrose in it. Uh, they'd give them a little bit of sugar. Uh, they needed to be revived. Sometimes, when, as children of God, when we're growing weak in our Christian walk, when we're growing weak and tired in this, in this life as we're trying to serve, we think we're all alone. I want you to remember you're not all alone, and it's time to cry out and say, God, will you revive me again? When our efforts seem useless, there are times when we think, man, I'm doing this and it seems for nothing. I'm putting my all into this and, and Lord, it doesn't seem like anything is happening. I, I, I just, I, I can't do this anymore. I want to remind you that it isn't you that does it. It's God. Paul said, uh, some watered, uh, some planted the seeds, some watered, but God brought forth the increase, or brings forth the increase. God is going to do the work in the hearts in your Sunday school class teachers. God is going to do the work in your hearts as I stand up here and preach. Listen, there's nothing more discouraging than to see people falling asleep while you're trying to lay out the word of God and, and preach the message that God has put on your heart. There's, there's nothing more discouraging to, 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 to have people that you're trying to encourage or, or that have, they have made some kind of vow that they're going to be there to see them fall away and walk away like, Lord, why? 
It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. Now listen, I have my responsibility to do what God has called me to do, and so do you. But God does the work in the hearts of his people. And there are times when we need to be revived in that, so pray for revival. When some are backsliding, listen, the truth is in every church there are going to be those that are backsliding. If we're not moving forward as Christians, we're going to be moving backwards. It's like trying to climb up on a down escalator. It's, it's not, if you take a stop, or if you take a rest, you just move backwards. If we stop moving forward in a Christian walk, I've seen this. People will step back from one thing, then the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing you know, they're missing this service, and then that service for all kinds of reasons, and then before long, they're not in any service. COVID was a bane across the church, all across this country. Why? Because people found an excuse to not go to church, and they never went back. There are some churches that have never reopened because it's still not safe. At this point, the government's telling us you don't even have to quarantine if you get sick uh, 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 or the, if you've been exposed to it. Uh, they're backing off because, because people's jobs are being affected. Uh, but listen, I'm telling you, the church has been affected. But it's not just COVID. COVID was just an excuse. It could be any number of things that, that pulls us from the worship and the praise of God, from the house of God, from the preaching of his word, from the fellowship of the saints, those things. Man, when we see that happen in somebody's life, and listen, it's happening in churches all over the country. It happens in our church here. When we see it, we need to pray for revival. That's when we pray. For whom do we pray? Pray for me. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the preacher. Why? Because I need your prayers. Many times pastors are, are set up on pedestals. They're treated as, they're treated as some kind of, uh, and I'm not saying this happens here. I don't want it to happen here. But there, there are men that are lifted up higher than they should be. Uh, a pastor is an under-shepherd. Jesus is to pre, be preeminent in the church. His word is to be held up above, above all things, and especially over what the pastor has to say. But I want you to, I want you to understand this. Uh, I need your prayers. I'm only human. I can grow weak. I can grow weary. I can grow tired. I can be tempted. I can fall just like any of the rest of you. But you're the pastor. I've always found it interesting when you look at the qualifications of the pastor, they're not anything that shouldn't be in anybody else's life. If you're a child of God, you should still strive to meet those qualifications. Those qualifications are there to say, if this man is not fulfilling these qualifications, then he's not fit to be in that position. But every child of God is to be fitting those qualifications. So pray for me. Pray for the Spirit to, to work in my heart and my life. Pray for Him to encourage me uh, when things look tough. Pray for, pray for Him to move me. Pray for Him to change. Pray for revival in me. Because listen, revival won't happen here if revival doesn't happen here. Pray for our deacons. They need revival. As much as I do their, their leadership in the church, yes, the word deacon means is, is, are, are those of servants. Uh, but, but I want you, uh, 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 they're not to be lifted up and exalted. But uh, we've got good deacons. God has blessed us with men who love God and, and men uh, who want to serve and men who are willing to, 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 to give their time uh, to, to, to serve the church and serve the Lord. Uh, but they need your prayers because decisions may get made and, 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 and things, they, they need wisdom, they need help, they need the Spirit of God in leading everything that they do. Your pastor needs it, our deacons need it, our church members need it. There isn't a person sitting in here that does not need somebody praying for them for revival. Say, hey, I'm in a good place. Are you, maybe you are in a good place, but if you think you're in a good place, guess what, you're probably not in a good place. The, the greatest place we can be is a place of humility, saying, Lord, if there's something that needs to change, just show me, Lord, I want to do it. But if we're thinking, hey, I'm good, then guess what? That's not where you're at, and maybe you should pray for humility. 
Our church members need it. Our church workers need it. Listen, we're getting ready to head into VBS. We've got, we've got teachers that are going to be teaching young minds and, 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 and preaching the gospel to, their, to, the, to those young souls. They, those, those teachers need our prayers for revival. So they don't go in there just to teach a lesson and to fulfill their obligation. They need our prayers that the Holy Spirit of God comes upon them. And they go in and they teach with the power of the Spirit of God so that those young people hear the gospel and understand the gospel and get saved. And whether they're teaching a class or working on the games or doing or leading the songs or whatever they're doing, whether they're making just making cookies, I don't care. They need somebody to pray for them that God revives them so they come in prepared because one person comes in with the wrong spirit, and guess what? The spirit of God can be quenched. The church workers, the church members, the deacons, myself. Those that are sitting on the sidelines. People that come to church, but they don't really get involved. Maybe they don't feel like they're qualified to get involved. The truth is none of us are, by the way. But maybe they don't feel qualified to get involved. Maybe they don't think they've got the time to get involved. And I get it, we're, we're, we're all busy. I, I, I'm not trying to, I'm, I don't want to guilt anybody into doing anything. But what I'm saying is there are some people that just constantly live on the fence they want to serve, they, they'd like to do this, but they're holding back. There's something that's keeping them from, from taking that step, from being willing to. And, and uh, they need prayer for revival. If I were to ask people, you don't, please don't raise your hand. I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. Uh, and I don't want anybody to know the answer to this. But if I were to ask if you would be comfortable praying out loud in opening the prayer and service, some of you would raise your hand and others would not. If I were to ask you to do anything, and say, well, I just don't like to be out in front of people. Listen, when we pray, we're not praying for others. If we were at prayer meeting and I were to ask people to pray, would you sit there quietly and not actually pray? Just let other people pray. Well, I'm just not comfortable with that. I'll just pray in my closet. I hope you do pray in your closet. Your public prayer life should only be, uh, will only ever be as strong as your private prayer life. And you can get up and use all the fancy, flowery words that looks good, it sounds good to everybody, but if you're, that's what you're doing, you're praying for the ears of the people and not praying to the ears of God. Uh, but if, if your prayer life at home is strong, you should have a desire to pray with, pray with and around others. The church, there's a need. Uh, the Bible says in, in, in the book of Acts that they came together daily. Guess what one of the things they did on a daily basis? Pray. When Peter was thrown in prison and James had his head cut off, what did the church gather to do? Peter knew just where to go. When he got there, what did he find him doing? Praying. You think it was just a couple of the other apostles and everybody else sitting there quietly, letting them pray? Listen, I understand that there, that, that there is a Christian growth, but if you've been saved for a long period of time and you're not comfortable praying next to somebody else, if, husbands, if you're not comfortable praying next to your wife, wives, if you're not comfortable pray, praying next to your, 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 your husbands or, or in front of your children or if your kids are not comfortable, listen, learn behavior. Satan's happy about that. Those that hesitate, those that hold back from serving the Lord because of fear, because of anxieties, because of worry, they need our prayers. Those that don't care, there are some people that just come to church on a, every once in a while, and I'm not naming any names, and I, I don't want you to have anybody in your head right now. But there are people that go to church, that we used to call them priesters when I was growing up, they came for Christmas and Easter. They came for some kind of special thing. Uh, uh, they would come for that maybe because there's food, or maybe because it was a holiday thing, or family pressure, or whatever, but they come to those things, and they need prayer for revival. If they're saved, they need revival in their life. And if they're not saved, they need saved. The lost need it. So, well, revival is for those that are, are saved because you have to be alive first. Revive means to be vived again or to be brought alive again. You're right. But the lost need, it, need revival in our church because unless they get out of a preacher, they're never going to hear it. Unless somebody goes out and tells them who has been revived, they're not going to hear it. The lost needed. What is the essence of this prayer? Look at it with me if you would. Verse number six. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? The essence of this prayer is dependence upon God. 
David says, listen, God, I, 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 remember, he's, he's king. He could have decreed, we are going to have revival. It wouldn't have happened. You're all going to come to the, to the temple on such and such a day, and we are going to have revival. I'm the king. I've declared it. That is not what he did. He said, will thou revive us again? Oh, Lord. He was depending upon God. When we pray, we need to depend upon God to, to do the work in my heart, in your heart, in our church, the work of revival. Not only is there dependence upon God, but there's confidence in God. We're to pray in faith. Wilt thou revive us again? If I'm asking him to do something, especially having remembered what he's already done in the past, what does that tell me? It tells me that God who did it once before can do it again. In fact, he uses the word again. That means I'm confident that God is able. And listen, I am confident, not because of, just because of what's happened in the past, not just because of what I've heard about or what I've experienced in my life. I am confident because of the promise of the word of God. James chapter 4, draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. There's a promise for revival. If we want it, we can have it. If we seek it, we can find it. In fact, didn't he say, knock, and it shall be answered? Seek, and ye shall find. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. But James also said this, Ye have not, because ye ask not. Confidence in God, dependence upon God, and importunity with God. This isn't, I don't believe this is a prayer that David prayed once and just kind of let it go. The word importunity is found twice in Scripture. Uh, it's, it's the idea that, uh, in fact, the parable is this, that a, a man goes to his neighbor at midnight. Please don't show up at my door at midnight. You will not get bread. I will shoot you. I'm just kidding. I won't shoot you. Man showed up at his door at midnight, knocking on his door, saying, Hey, I need bread for my neighbor. He showed up, and I don't have anything to feed him. And I, got, I think you've got bread. Could you give me some bread? I can imagine opening up my, my bedroom window, looking down at you and saying, go away. If you text me at midnight, I probably am not going to get it. If you call me at midnight, my phone is on silent. Okay, it, it, it isn't, but please don't call me, unless it's an emergency. But I, but I want you to, in this instance, the man told him to go away and go home. But because he would not stop knocking, it gets annoying after a while, doesn't it? This is what importunity is. I need some bread. You guys are going to throw things at me here before long. In fact, in the parable, it says that the man gave it not to him because he needed bread or because he was his friend, but because he wouldn't stop knocking on the door. Are we praying for revival in that way? My favorite part about that passage, with that parable, it says if, God, if, if, a, if a son asks for bread, will his father give him a rock? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Says, How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him? You want revival? Ask for it. Ask for it, depending upon God, with confidence in God and and don't stop asking until you get it. Now, what's the result of the prayer? Back to Psalm chapter 85, verse 6. Last half says, That thy people may rejoice in thee. As a result of revival in our lives, we are now again renewed in the presence of God. Our understanding and our view of God is back to where it should be, and suddenly we are rejoicing. Now, when we pray for revival, and God, God sends revival, we'll, we'll see some things happen. Lives will be changed. 
That's the way revival works. Sin has to be turned from, and God has to be turned to. We have to turn from God to sin. James says like this, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Turn your laughter into mourning. We're to follow after God and turn away from those things. Sin, our lives will change. Things will be given up. We'll begin to become more faithful to God at home and at church. We'll begin to tell others about Christ. We'll begin to extol, honor, glorify, lift up, exalt, praise our Savior. We will begin to truly rejoice in Him. When we come to church and we're singing, Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder. We begin to think about the things that God has done just in the creation of the world. Listen, I'm not saying you'll necessarily get emotional, but your heart will begin to warm as you think about the goodness and the power and the greatness of our God. We will rejoice over the work of God. We'll rejoice in the fact that we're saved, that our sins have been washed away, that we can have victory and have victory over sin and over death. We'll rejoice in the fact that, that, that we are no longer what we used to be. Listen, if I were to ask for a raise of hands, of, of, are, that you're glad that you aren't who you used to be. Listen, so there, there are people that used to be drunks here, people that used to be into pornography, people that used to be, uh, people that used to be into drugs, people that used to just be proud, proud and selfish. Listen, God looks at all that, and he washed it all away clean, and he's given you victory over that. Why? Because you are not what you used to be. There should be rejoicing in that. We'll rejoice over the work of God. We'll rejoice over, over the, the things that happen in our lives here and in our church and in our nation as, as, as revival begins to take place. And listen, it will take place here first and, and then spread. There's no guarantee of a national revival, but maybe. God may will it. We'll rejoice over the work of God. We'll also rejoice over the attributes of God. Just to stop and think, that is God. He is my God. I do not worship something of my own uh, creation. Uh, that's one of the problems that I have with so many people. Like, well, my God would not do that. My God would, uh, my God. Listen, listen, you don't get to decide who God is or what he does or what he's like. God reveals to us through his word who he is and what he's done and what he's like. He tells us who he is, and we, and we examine the scriptures, and we see his sovereignty, we see his power, we see his goodness, we see his mercy, we see his justice, we see his righteousness, we see his holiness, and we say, woe is me, for I am undone. But glory be to God. We rejoice in his attributes, we rejoice in the presence of God. There is nothing greater, nothing greater than being in the presence of God. There will be a day, and I cannot wait for this day, when I will be in heaven and I will stand before my Savior. And I, will, I will stand before God and I will worship and I will praise Him. Uh, uh, there was a time when I said, I don't know what I'll do. There's a song that you say, uh, uh, says, I don't remember, even remember the name of the song now. I, I don't know what it was. Uh, but it's, will I dance? Will I, uh, I don't know. I can tell you what I'll do. I'll stand before the Lord. I'll fall before His face and I'll worship Him. I'll lift up my hands and I'll praise him because he is good, because he is holy. But you don't have to wait to heaven to be in the presence of God. You can be in the presence of God here. You can be in the presence of God at home. You can be in the presence of God in your car. You can be in the presence of God in the woods. You can be in the presence of God everywhere you are. In fact, here's the, here's the truth and here's the amazing, beautiful truth. If you are a child of God, you are in the presence of God all the time. Sometimes we just forget it. 
If you remember, the Bible says he indwells us. That means he goes with us, that he sees everything that we see, that he hears everything that we hear, that he hears everything that we say, and listen, he knows everything that we think. Uh, There is not a moment in your life where you're not in the presence of God, but when you're in the Word and when you're worshiping God, there there is a spirit of worship that can overwhelm you and overcome you that is greater than anything that this world has to offer. I'm not talking about meeting the, the, the President of the United States or the most powerful man in the world. I'm not talking about, about meeting the, the nicest person or the most beautiful person or the most famous person. You're going to be in the presence of God and you can do that by yourself. Some of the greatest times I've, I've ever had. Listen, I've, I've experienced some great things. My wedding day was a wonderful day. The day that I said I do to my wife for till death do us part, and I hid the guns. So she didn't kill me. Okay, never mind. That was a wonderful day in my life. Nobody finally, somebody's laughing at my bad joke. That went that fell down dead. Anyways. Anyways, my wedding day was a wonderful day. One of the greatest days of my life. The days that my children were born, all four of them. Again, rates right up there as, one of the, as some of the greatest days of my life. The greatest day of my life was my salvation. The day that I met my Savior. Not the day that I heard about my Savior, because I heard about him a lot growing up. But the day when I personally met my Savior. You know the next greatest day of my life? The day when my Savior met me. Because for a period of time, I'd walked away and ran away from God. And I can verify, and I can, I can, I can tell, tell you from, from, from my experience that the word of God in James 4 is true. It says, draw nigh to me and I'll draw unto you. When I turned around and turned back to God, he was there. He met me, just like the prodigal's son, father, met him. That was the second greatest day of my life. And the, the third greatest day is every day that I get to spend time with the Lord. And listen, I'm not talking about necessarily an emotional high that you get every time you read your Bible. Listen, there are times when I read my Bible, and I wish there was something there. But when that happens, do you know what we do? Lord, will that revive me again? that I might rejoice in thee. There have been times when, listen, I, I love it as well. I love how great thou art. I love all those songs that talk about uh, the goodness of God. I sing the mighty power of, that's one of our VBS songs. I saw that, I was like, I know that one. I love that song. But there have been times when I've sang those songs, and as much as I love those songs, just like that joke I told a few minutes ago, it falls flat. Because, well, God deserves my praise. The praise is supposed to originate here, not here. And the only way to get the praise from here is to rebuild that altar and ask God to revive it in me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord.